What is up, everybody? It's JT Sports. I'm back to you guys with episode 10 of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about why Miami Dolphins wide receiver Preston Williams could have a breakout season this year. I'm also going to be giving my take on the Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz debate, who I feel is the better quarterback. Then, I'm going to be previewing the Carolina Panthers wide receiver position for this upcoming NFL season. Also going to be talking about how good will the Atlanta Falcons offense be this year. And what role will rookie Lynn Bowden have in the Las Vegas Raiders offense. And lastly, will the San Francisco 49ers suffer from the infamous Super Bowl hangover. Now, for those of you guys who are listening to this on audio platforms... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you go and get your podcast, make sure that you go ahead and leave a five-star review on the podcast. Also, make sure to go ahead and follow me on my social media pages, which is JT Sports underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. And also, make sure to go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports on YouTube. I want to talk about why Preston Williams will break out for the Miami Dolphins this season in 2020. Now, Preston Williams is going into his second year in the NFL out of Colorado State University. He had his rookie season last year in 2019 cut short due to a season-ending ACL injury. And before his injury, he had 428 receiving yards, three touchdowns, caught 32 receptions on 60 targets, and was averaging 13.4 yards per reception. Now, Preston Williams is 6'5", 218 pounds this guy is big he's physical but one thing that really impressed me about Preston Williams was how light on his feet he was like this guy has really good feet and really quick feet despite being 6'5 basically 220 pounds you don't really see a lot of wide receivers with that size that have that kind of footwork like Preston Williams Preston Williams to me is like a mixture of A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins combined in one. Like both, like DeAndre Hopkins is one of the more violent wide receivers that we've ever seen enter the NFL. Like this guy is really physical. DeAndre Hopkins embraces contact and he makes a lot of catches. DeAndre Hopkins basically can catch anything. And that's what Preston Williams was able to do. Last season for the Miami Dolphins in his rookie season, the short sample size that we saw in Preston Williams, this guy caught everything. I mean, he was catching fade routes in the back of the end zone. He was catching sideline toe-tap grabs. This guy was catching 50-50 jump balls. This guy was catching passes with, like, three defenders getting ready to lay a big hit on him. I mean, this guy caught everything everything if you don't believe me go back and watch like this guy was this guy literally called a pass with three defenders right around him took the hit and still held on to the football this guy is incredibly strong he's really physical now he's not a burner down the field I don't think that he has blazing speed he's not like your physical freak of nature like a DK Metcalf but he is physical He's physical, he's going to be a good downfield vertical threat for the Dolphins, and it's weird because they not only have Preston Williams, but they have Devontae Parker, who has the basically similar skill set like Preston Williams as well. So you got two wide receivers on the outside that are very physical, that can basically catch anything, jump balls, 
um, fade routes in the red zone, whatever you need them to do, both Preston Williams and Devontae Park can do that. And Preston Williams is going to have to step up this season, coming off that season injury last year for the Dolphins offense, because they just lost Allen Hearns and Albert Wilson, who chose to opt out of this year's NFL season. So Preston Williams is going to be thrusted into that wide receiver two role. And he's going to have to take some of that pressure off Devontae Parker. Because Devontae Parker is coming off a breakout season last year. And when you have a wide receiver that's coming off a season that Devontae Parker had last year, that basically he took everybody by storm and came out of nowhere, basically saved his NFL career, a lot of teams, a lot of defenses are going to be keying in on stopping Devontae Parker. So when you got defenses that are going to be locked in on stopping Devontae Parker, Preston Williams is going to have to be the guy who steps up and takes the load and makes defenses pay for double teaming or keying in on Devontae Parker. And Preston Williams, like I said, reminds me a mixture of A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins because of how physical he is. Like I said, like this guy catches everything. And... I believe that Preston Williams is going to have a breakout season this year and 2020. And if you're a guy who plays fantasy football and you're looking for a wide receiver to draft in the later rounds that has a lot of upside, a lot of potential without giving up a high draft selection for guys like Terry McLaurin or Deontay Johnson, look to draft Preston Williams. I got Preston Williams basically for free because a lot of the leagues that I'm in and the couple of drafts that I have participated in, Preston Williams hasn't even been drafted. So you can basically get Preston Williams for basically nothing, or you can pick him up with a late selection and keep him on your bench and stash him because I think this is a guy who has a lot of upside. Like I said, this guy is 6'5", 218 pounds, and he has incredible footwork. I've never seen a wide receiver with that kind of size. Well, it's a couple of wide receivers that do have the size that Preston Williams has, but you don't really see a lot of wide receivers with that size that have that good of a footwork that Preston Williams has. Like, he is really loud in his feet. Like, his feet, his footwork is really impressive to me. Really impressive. So, you're getting a guy who can catch 50-50 balls, jump balls, fade routes in the back of the red zone, passes in the middle of the field. He can do everything. And for him, he is going to have a big... Big season this year for the Dolphins. I think he could probably have like a Mike Williams kind of season. Mike Williams had a quiet season for the Chargers last year. He had like over a thousand yards. And I think Preston Willis could be in for that kind of season. I think Preston Willis could have around 900, 1,000 yards. I think he's going to have at least seven touchdowns. He's probably going to have like... I think he'll be between 70 and 80 receptions this season because of him basically being the wide receiver number two with Albert Wilson and Allen Hearns choosing to opt out. So, I mean, I'm really interested in watching Preston Williams this season. I actually have him on a couple of my fantasy football squads, and I'm expecting a lot of big things out of Preston Williams and his Miami Dolphins offense this season and 2020. Last week, I went to get my hair cut. Now, in the barbershop that I go to, it's three barbers. It is a Chicago Bears fan, a Jacksonville Jaguar fan, and a Dallas Cowboy fan. Now, the barber that was the Dallas Cowboy fan was arguing with a Philadelphia Eagles fan that had walked in. And they were debating about who was the best quarterback in the division, Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott. 
And the Dallas Cowboy fans said that Dak Prescott's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz because he had better stats. And me and the Philadelphia Eagles fans were trying to say that, no, Carson Wentz is the better quarterback because Carson Wentz took the Philadelphia Eagles to the playoffs with a banged-up group of wide receivers. They basically had guys off the street playing wide receiver. Their best wide receiver to end the season was Greg Ward Jr., who played in the now-defunct Alliance of American Football League, AAA, a.k.a. the AAF, and tied in Zach Ertz, who was one of the best tight ends in the NFL, and that's pretty much it. Zach Ertz was Carson Wentz's best target. He also had off the line that wasn't as good as what it typically is due to also suffering injuries. So Carson Wentz took and basically carried a Philadelphia Eagles offense that was depleted with injuries, and still got them to the playoffs. Meanwhile, Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys missed the playoffs and underachieved despite having one of the best offensive lines in football thrown to Amari Cooper, Randall Cobb, and Michael Gallup. Now, I told the Dallas Cowboy fan, I said that, how is Dak Prescott better than Carson Wentz when Carson Wentz carried the Eagles on his back to the playoffs with basically no wide receivers and his only reliable target being Zach Ertz. And his argument was that Prescott had better stats. Well, of course that Prescott is going to have better stats because he's throwing to better receivers. That Prescott last season threw for 4,902 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions while completing 65.1% of his passes. Carson Wentz threw for 4,039 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, and 7 interceptions, completing 63.9% of his passes. But think about that. Dak Prescott threw for three more touchdowns with Carson Wentz with a superior group of wide receivers than what Carson Wentz had to work with. He was thrown to Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and Randall Cobb, and also Jason Wynn, who also was pretty productive as well last year, despite being up there in age. And a lot of Cowboy fans say that, oh, JT, that Prescott was held back by coaching. So is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has been carrying the Houston Texans on his back and Bill O'Brien on his back ever since his second year in the NFL. So don't tell me nothing about Dak Prescott being held back by coaching because Deshaun Watson has been getting the Texans to the playoffs despite having Bill O'Brien as his head coach. So I don't want to hear anything about Dak Prescott being held back by coaching because it was several games that the Dallas Cowboys lost last year because of Dak Prescott underperforming in big moments. Let's talk about the game against the New York Jets that they lost. Let me tell you something. If you consider Dak Prescott a top 10 quarterback, it's no reason why he should be losing to quarterbacks like Sam Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater was a backup quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. No offense to Teddy Bridgewater, but if you're a top 10 quarterback, you should be able to win those matchups. And he lost that game due to not coming up in big moments for the Dallas Cowboys. Another good example is when they lost to the New England Patriots. Dak Prescott had the ball in his hands to a chance to win the game for the Dallas Cowboys, and he missed a couple of big throws that drive. And as a franchise quarterback, when the ball is in your hands, you got to be able to seal the deal and win the game. Meanwhile, Carson Wentz made several big plays for the Philadelphia Eagles in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. Despite not throwing to 
a great group of wide receivers. Only having Zach Ertz as his only number one option and having a depleted group of basically offensive linemen that were blocking for him. Not to mention, he didn't have Ezekiel Elliott who rushed for 1,400 yards last season. So he didn't have that good of a ground game that Dak Prescott had. And despite all that, Carson Wentz was able to overcome not having as Santa of a team that Dak Prescott had and still got the Eagles to the playoffs. Meanwhile, Dak Prescott missed the playoffs with the better supporting cast around him. Now, let me ask you something. Which one would you prefer? Would you prefer a quarterback who did more with less or a quarterback who did less with more? Carson Wentz took the Eagles to the playoffs with nobody's playing wide receiver and Zach Ertz and a depleted group of offensive linemen. But Dak Prescott had a fairly healthy offensive line, Zeke in the backfield, and a talented group of wide receivers and still couldn't get the Cowboys to the playoffs. And for those of you guys who say coaching, I'm going to say look at Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has been carrying the Houston Texans on his back ever since he got drafted there year two. Bill O'Brien isn't a good coach. The defense, Houston has, hasn't had a good defense in years. So, I mean, you can blame the coaching all you want to, but there's several games that the Cowboys lost last year because of Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott didn't rise to the occasion. Meanwhile, Carson Wentz did. If Carson Wentz was on the Dallas Cowboys last season, the Dallas Cowboys probably would have had a 11-5 with 12-4 record and would have made the playoffs. But if that Prescott was on the Eagles, they wouldn't even have made the playoffs. I don't even think they would have had a winning record. Because that Prescott is only as good as the guys that he has around him. Carson Wentz is probably one of the few quarterbacks who is a top 10 quarterback. Who did more than any other quarterback who we consider a top 10 quarterback. Carson Wentz went to the playoffs with less talent. Then Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes was throwing the Sammy Watkins, Miko Hartman, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Meanwhile, Carson Wentz did more with less. He won more games than Patrick. Well, he won games despite not having a great team around him. But Patrick Mahomes did. What about Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson made it to the playoffs. He was throwing to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Although his off the line wasn't that great. He still had more talent around to work with than what Carson Wentz had to win with. What about Drew Brees? Drew Brees had more talent than Carson Wentz. But despite that, Carson Wentz still went to the playoffs. So it is quarterbacks that Carson Wentz went to the playoffs despite not having the same amount of talent as other guys like guys like Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson. So once again... I'm going to ask you guys a question. Which one would you prefer? The quarterback who took his team to the playoffs with a not-so-great offensive line that was injured and a not-so-great group of wide receivers that were also injured? Or a quarterback in Dak Prescott who had a better team around him but couldn't get the Cowboys to the playoffs? And I understand it's a team game, but in big moments, Carson Wentz stepped up, and in big moments... Dak Prescott, he shrunk. He came up small. He came up short. So I'm taking Carson Wentz over Dak Prescott. I want the quarterback who does more with less. I want the quarterback who has proven that he can win without 
having a great group of talent around him. Meanwhile, Dak Prescott has proven that he cannot win without Ezekiel Elliott. He can't win without Amari Cooper. He can't win without a great coaching staff. He needs everything to go his way. A lead quarterback, a quarterback that you consider elite, is a quarterback that can make something out of nothing. He can turn a, black, a bad play call into a five or three yard game. A lead quarterback elevates the guy who is calling the plays. Meanwhile, a quarterback who is considered elite, that's considered average to above average, is only as good as the talent that he has around him and is only as good as the guys who is calling the plays. Now, give it that Prescott's a little bit more athletic, even though Carson Wentz is pretty athletic as well. But in the day, all around, Carson Wentz is a better quarterback. He did more with less. Carson Wentz was able to make it to the playoffs despite not having the talent that guys like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson had. So Carson Wentz, in my opinion, is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. So for my next topic, I'm going to be previewing the Carolina Panthers wide receiver position for 2020. Now, all of the wide receivers that I'm about to preview and go over are on the roster as of August 8th. I believe that the Carolina Panthers have an underrated group of wide receivers. These wide receivers are really good after the catch, which is a big reason why I think Joe Brady is a perfect fit as the offensive coordinator for the Panthers. Now, Joe Brady at LSU, a lot of people think that LSU's offense was just, you know, Joe Burrow throwing darts to Jamar Chase and everybody else, but it really wasn't. I mean, yeah, he had like a couple of deep balls thrown in there as well, but I mean... The majority of LSU's offense was based around what the wide receivers could do with the ball in their hands after the catch. And you have a group of wide receivers with the Carolina Panthers this season that are all really good after the catch. Now, let's start off with DJ Moore. DJ Moore last year was the best wide receiver on the Carolina Panthers roster. He had 1,175 receiving yards, 87 receptions, Four touchdowns was averaging 13.5 yards per reception and was targeted 135 times. Now, DJ Moore, in my opinion, is the wide receiver number one on the Carolina Panthers team. He can do everything. He's a good deep threat. He can catch the underneath routes. He can also make things happen with the ball in his hands. I think DJ Moore is the wide receiver number one in Carolina. And I think that DJ Moore is only going to have a better season this year than he had last year because, you know, everybody was held back with the quarterback play in Carolina last year with Will Greer, Kyle Allen. So I think with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm, we're going to see an even more productive season out of DJ Moore in 2020 than what we saw in 2019. Next up, we got Curtis Samuel. Now, Curtis Samuel is the second-best wide receiver on the Panthers team. And last year, he had 627 receiving yards, 54 receptions. He had six touchdowns and was targeted 105 times. Now, I believe that Curtis Samuel is the second best wide receiver behind DJ Moore, but he is the best wide receiver on this team in terms of pure playmaking ability. Curtis Samuel is a wide receiver, but has the build of a running back. He's basically a running back playing wide receiver. So he is really good with the ball in his hands. Like, he's, he's, he, he's strong. He's powerful. I think he's the best wide receiver on this roster that the Panthers have that's good at making things happen after the catch. He can turn 
a five-yard, three-yard pass into a 60-yard touchdown. He is the most athletic wide receiver on this team. And I think that Curtis Samuel is a guy who I think he's probably going to have around 800 receiving yards this year. He'll probably end up leading the Carolina Panthers in touchdowns this season. He'll probably have about seven, six touchdowns, probably around the similar number he had last year. And I think that Curtis Samuel is really solid. I think he has potential to take that next step up. A lot of people around this time last year were saying that Curtis Samuel was going to emerge as the best wide receiver on the Carolina Panthers roster. And that didn't quite happen because, you know, giving hell back by the quarterback position and things like that. And DJ Moore kind of came out the best wide receiver in Carolina. So I believe Curtis Samuel is going to be the second best wide receiver on the Carolina Panthers this season. Next up, we have Robbie Anderson. Now, Robbie Anderson was picked up in free agency by the Carolina Panthers. And a lot of Panthers fans were saying, how does he fit in this offense? Because you got Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who doesn't really throw the football all that deep. He's known as taking what the defense gives him. And a lot of Carolina Panthers fans need to understand this. Every NFL team can use an elite deep threat like Robbie Anderson. You see... When teams and defenses start to play underneath and they just start to play just to try to stop the short passing game, Robbie Anderson can come in and take the top off the defense. So the defense with Robbie Anderson is going to have to account for Robbie Anderson and his speed and his ability as being one of the best deep threats in the NFL and keep the defense playing balance. So the defense with Robbie Anderson on the field isn't just going to be on the field just playing the short underneath routes they're going to have to be able to account for the deep passes as well and Robbie Anderson last year with the New York Jets had 779 receiving yards 52 receptions five touchdowns to 96 targets over his last few seasons with the New York Jets I think he has always had or been targeted over 90 times and Robbie Anderson also he's not a guy who's going to make a lot of things happen after the catch with the ball in his hands he's a guy who if you give him a little bit of a crease he make you pay He's not a guy who's going to be having all these incredible jukes and, you know, incredible spin moves out of the catch and things like that, like Curtis Samuel. But he is a guy, if you give him a little bit of space, he can make you pay. Now we move on to some more of the unknown guys. A lot of you guys who may not be familiar with Farrell Cooper. Farrell Cooper is basically a good returner. I don't really see him having that big of an impact in this Panthers offense. In 2019, he spent like... One game with the Cincinnati Bengals. Then he spent like a good majority of the season with the Arizona Cardinals. And mainly, Farrell Cooper is just a good returner. Kick returner, punt returner. I don't really think he's going to have that big of a role in this offense. Then you got Seth Roberts. Seth Roberts played for the Baltimore Ravens last year in 2019. Had 271 receiving yards, 21 receptions, 2 touchdowns on 35 targets. Seth Roberts struggled with drops last season with the Ravens. He had a couple of key drops, especially in that Tennessee Titans game and that divisional round game that the Ravens lost. He also had a couple of big drops versus Seattle, although the Ravens were able to overcome that and win that game. He struggled with drops. I think that Seth Roberts probably is on this team for like veteran leadership and more F death. But I don't really like him all that much as I like the other wide receivers that I named, like a Curtis Samuel or Robbie Anderson. But I do think he probably could make the team just for death. Then you got 
Ishmael Hyman. Ishmael Hyman was an undrafted free agent back in 2019 out of James Madison University. He spent time with the Cleveland Browns, who he ended up getting cut after the preseason. And he basically spent the majority of 2019 on the Tim Bay Buccaneers practice squad. And in January, he basically signed a futures deal. I think it was either January or December. I can't remember. But he signed a futures deal with the Carolina Panthers. So it remains to be seen if he's even going to make the roster or if he's even going to end up being placed back on the practice squad. Now you got Brennan Zalstros. I think I pronounced his name right. He was weighed by the Minnesota Vikings. He was on their practice squad. I think he's more of a special teams guy. Once again, I'm not expecting a lot out of him. Then you also got Keith Kirkwood. Keith Kirkwood didn't really do anything for the New Orleans Saints back in 2019 last year. But in 2018, he had like a couple of big plays, a couple of big moments for the Saints. So I think he is a guy who could be in the mix and this wide receiver group for the Panthers. Then you got Andrew White, who has been on the Carolina Panthers practice squad for basically the last two seasons, 2018-2019. And a guy that I'm about to mention that I'm really high on that a lot of you Carolina Panthers fans need to be keeping your eye on is rookie Omar Bayless, undrafted free agent out of Arkansas State. Now, Omar Bayless for Arkansas State last year, 2019, was one of the best wide receivers in college football. He was second in receiving yards behind Jamar Chase and was third in touchdowns. He also was a third-team All-American, and he was Sunbelt Player of the Year. And... I watched a couple of Arkansas State games, and I watched a couple of Omar Bayless performances. This is a guy who caught a lot of passes. He caught, like, four touchdowns off pass interference calls. Like, he's, like it was pass interference, defenses draped all over him, and he still was able to come down to football. Like, this guy's a good vertical threat. And a lot of Panthers fans are asking, how did he go undrafted? Well, go back and watch his comeback performance. He ran a 4.62 and a 4.68, at this past year's NFL Combine. So as we all know, the 40-yard dash makes or breaks you, and the 40-yard dash kind of dropped his draft stock. And he also doesn't really have a lot of agility. Like, he's faster in-game. He just has good straight-line speed, but a lot of his routes and stuff like that, he isn't really the fastest guy. He isn't really the fastest guy when it comes to changing direction and things like that. His route running are kind of slow when he's running some underneath routes, like dig routes, drag routes, things like that are kind of ran a little bit slow. But overall, he has great hands. I think he has potential to make this Carolina Panthers roster. I do think that he should make this roster. I think he has an above-average chance. I think he has a better chance of making the roster than a guy like Farrell Cooper does or Brendan Zestra. So, I mean, keep your eye on Omar Bayless. Then the last guy you have, you have Trevante Heights, who is an undrafted free agent out of TCU. I don't really know what to expect out of him. So, overall, here's my projected Death chart and guys who will make the Carolina Panthers roster. My prediction DJ Moore, wide receiver number one, Curtis Samuel, wide receiver number two, Robbie Anderson is going to be the third best wide receiver. Then I think Omar Bayless makes the team. Think he's going to end up being the fourth best wide receiver on the roster if he does make it, which he should. Seth Roberts, you got to have him on. Then lastly, I think that Keith Kirkwood makes the team. Keith Kirkwood didn't really do anything with the New Orleans Saints last year, but in 2018, he had some pretty big moments. So those are the guys who I think make the 
roster for the Carolina Panthers. And that is my wide receiver preview for the Carolina Panthers 2020 as of August 8th. The Las Vegas Raiders have a young rookie on their roster named Lynn Bowden. Lynn Bowden was my favorite NFL prospect coming out of this year's draft. He was drafted in the third round of this past year's 2020 NFL draft by the Las Vegas Raiders out of the University of Kentucky. And coming into the draft, he had a really interesting story. So in 2019, he started out as the wide receiver for the Kentucky Wildcats. But then he was asked to become their quarterback for the rest of the season when their starting quarterbacks, their first string quarterback, and their backup quarterback went down due to injuries. So he was a wide receiver who basically had to get converted to quarterback and was able to take the Kentucky Wildcats football team to a bowl game in which he threw a game-winning touchdown to win. And the question going in with Lynn Bowden heading into the NFL draft during the draft process was, what position will Lynn Bowden play in the NFL? You got a guy who can play wide receiver, he can play quarterback, how do you use him? He has all kinds of athleticism, he's really talented. And the question with the Las Vegas Raiders is going to be, how would they utilize Lynn Bowden? Now, an article I came across a couple of days ago by the Raiders Wire said that Lynn Bowden could potentially be taking snaps at quarterback this season. Now, according to the article, in a recent media session with Officer Coordinator Greg Olson, they talked about how they planned on using Lynn Bowden in 2020. And he said, and I quote, Right now, we have him working out of the running back's room. He's meeting with Kirby Wilson, our running back's coach, so we've got him at the running back. But also, he had to learn a lot of things that we do at the quarterback position. You've seen the game change from year to year, the use of RPOs, the use of Taysom Hill, and those type of players that played that RPO-style offense in college. They become valuable for us. And we believe that he can transition and be a running back as well as do some of the plays at the quarterback position that he did in college. Now, Lynn Bowden in college basically was playing quarterback, but they ran the majority of the time. They pretty much ran 90% of the time. And he was really effective in that offense. And how are the Raiders going to use him? It looks like the Raiders are going to line him up everywhere. Like, I don't think he's just going to play just running back. Now, of course, when he initially got drafted, already had a suspicion that John Gruden was planning on, you know, having him learn the quarterback position and taking a couple of snaps at the quarterback position so they can find a way to use him in that offense. So I already knew what the Raiders were going to do. I wasn't really surprised that this came out, that the Raiders were planning on having him take snaps at quarterback this season because when you have a guy who can do everything like Lynn Bowden, you have to try to find ways to get him the ball. So they have him at running back right now, which is a little bit caught me off guard because I thought they would end up using him at wide receiver, especially considering the fact that going in, like they didn't have a lot of depth at the wide receiver position. But it turns out they're going to end up using him as a running back. And not only can if he's able to learn the running back position, but I mean, you can not only use him as a running back, but you can line him out wide. Then they're probably going to use him in wildcat situations. He's probably going to run some RPOs because he throws a pretty nice ball. Now, is he like a made-to-be franchise quarterback or something like that? No, but he is a guy who can come in. You can run a couple of plays. You can run some very unique formations. 
with Lynn Bowden. And Lynn Bowden is a really incredible athlete. I mean, this guy in the open field is really elusive, really hard to bring down. So, I mean, Lynn Bowden, this guy is probably going to line up everywhere for the Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden is going to love Lynn Bowden. I think we're going to see Lynn Bowden be, we're going to see a lot of Lynn Bowden this year. If you're a Raiders fan, get familiar with Lynn Bowden. If you don't know who Lynn Bowden was before this video, you're pretty much going to know who he is after this season because I think John Gruden is going to fall in love with Lynn Bowden. Like, John Gruden is the offensive guru, man. Like, this guy loves trying to figure out new innovative ways. And when you look at Lynn Bowden, Lynn Bowden is a player that John Gruden is going to love because you can do so much with Lynn Bowden. So, I mean, not only if he's able to learn the halfback position, he's only going. He's also going to be really good catching the ball out of the backfield. So, I mean, you can line him up in slot. You can line him up outside. I mean, you can run split back formation. Josh Jacobs, Lynn Bolden. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Wildcat, you can even run some RPOs with Lynn Bolden. And you don't get that kind of, you know, ability out of Derek Carr because Derek Carr isn't, you know, that athletic. Marcus Mariota... You know, he's pretty athletic, but he doesn't, you know, have the running ability of a Lynn Bolden. And when I say running ability, I'm talking about he's not as gifted as a runner as Lynn Bolden is. So, I mean, the possibilities for Lynn Bolden and his Raiders offense is really interesting. When he got drafted by the Las Vegas Raiders, man, like, I was really happy because I know the Las Vegas Raiders was a place that will actually utilize every single ounce of his talent. So, I mean... What role will Lynn Bowden have in the Las Vegas Raiders offense? He's pretty much going to play that to that Taysom Hill role, but he's going to up it to another level because I feel he is a lot better than Taysom Hill. I mean, he is already a really solid wide receiver. He, If he's able to learn the running back position, he's going to be able to be a threat there. He's already a pretty solid runner. Look what he did playing for Kentucky last year at the quarterback position. So, I mean, the opportunities are endless for Lynn Bowden. I'm really excited to see what Lynn Bowden does with the Las Vegas Raiders this season. How good would the Atlanta Falcons offense be this upcoming NFL season and 2020? Now, last year, the Atlanta Falcons had a top five offense. They were fifth and total yards per game with 379. They were third in the NFL in pass yards per game with 294.6. But they were one of the worst teams in the NFL when it came to running the football. They only averaged 85 rushing yards per game. Now, I think that should change with the new addition of Todd Gurley. Now, a lot of people question, can Todd Gurley stay healthy? If Todd Gurley is able to stay healthy, and he is able to return to his 2018 form. Oh my gosh. The Falcons got it still if that's able to happen. You see, a lot of people got to realize this. If Todd Gurley is able to stay healthy, and he's just able to get back to at least 80% of what he was in 2018, the Falcons are going to have one of the best halfbacks in the NFL. Todd Gurley is still pretty young. He's only in his mid-20s. He still has like at least four or five prime years as a halfback. Now, what does Todd Gurley bring to Atlanta Falcons? You're getting one of the best halfbacks in the NFL when healthy, if he stays fully healthy. You're also getting a halfback that's pretty good in the passing game as well. Now, when you look at this Falcons team overall, 
I mean, this offense is stacked with talent. Like, I think they have, like, 11 out of 12 of their starters have been first-round picks or some crazy number like that, either 10 or 11. It's some crazy number like that. So Atlanta Falcons have a lot of talent. And, I mean, let me go back to Todd Gurley. I know a lot of people hate when I jump back and forth, but the L.A. Rams, a big reason why Todd Gurley wasn't as effective last season as what he has been in the past was not only because of his arthritis, but a lot of people got to remember, the Rams had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. And that was another big reason why Todd Gurley kind of had a fall-off year last year. So when you go to the Atlanta Falcons, you look at a team that has a lot of talent at the offensive line position. When a, I mean, the offensive line, if they're able to stay healthy this year, I think they could make a major step in improvement because the offensive line for the Atlanta Falcons the last couple of years has kind of been shaky. But I think this could be the year in 2020 that this offensive line can put it together. Now, when you look at the wide receiver position, this is one of the five best wide receiving cores in the NFL. You got Julio Jones, who we already know is the best wide receiver in football. Yes, Saints fans, if you guys are watching, I'm saying Julio Jones is better than Michael Thomas. Julio Jones last year, 1,295 receiving yards, 99 receptions, 6 touchdowns. Then you got Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley missed a couple of games last year. If he would have stayed fully healthy and played in every single game, he would have had over 1,000 yards. He had 866 receiving yards, 63 receptions, and 7 touchdowns. Then you got Russell Gage. Russell Gage was a guy who came in and filled in and made the most out of his opportunities. 446 receiving yards, 49 receptions, 1 touchdown. Then you got Laquan Treadwell, and you got Christian Blake. Now, Laquan Treadwell is basically trying to save his career. Laquan Trudwell has the most to prove out of anybody on this Atlanta Falcons offense. Because, listen, he was basically a bust in Minnesota and didn't work out. So if he doesn't show any signs and he doesn't, you know, show a post that he has what it takes to live up to the level of expectations that he was drafted to be by the Minnesota Falcons a couple of years ago, then the Falcons are most likely going to have to end up getting rid of him at the end of the 2020 NFL season. But, I mean, Laquan Truewell is a guy who has a lot of potential. I mean, any guy, you know, who has that bust status is a guy who has a lot of potential because he wouldn't have got drafted that high if he didn't. So, I mean, Laquan Truewell, maybe Minnesota just wasn't a good fit for him. Maybe he just needed a change of scenery. So, maybe Atlanta can bring the best out of Laquan Truewell and Laquan Truewell can actually sign, show some sign of a pulse. Then you also got Christian Blake. I like Christian Blake as well. So, I mean, the wide receiver position, like I said, this is one of the best wide receiver positions in the NFL. They can really air it out. Then you got Matt Ryan. Now, Matt Ryan, I think he is a guy who is very motivated going into this year because Matt Ryan got left off the NFL top 100 players list. Now, Matt Ryan has been a top 10 quarterback in the NFL for the past decade. And Matt Ryan last season, 4,466 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, completed 6 tips in his passes. Now, I think a big reason why Matt Ryan didn't make the NFL Top 100 list this season was because he kind of had a fall off because the offensive line wasn't all that great last year. Now, the offensive line improves like I believe that it should, 
then Matt Ryan should, you know, his numbers should go back up to where they were in the past. Because Matt Ryan at one point is putting up like 40 touchdowns and nearly 5,000 yards almost every season. So, I mean, Matt Ryan, if you give this guy a good offensive line, he's going to put up some top five, top 10 quarterback numbers. But, I mean, last year, I feel like the offensive line kind of held back Matt Ryan. If the offensive line was better, Matt Ryan's stats would have been a little bit more better and he probably would have ended up making the NFL top 100. So I don't really know how they do the list, but that's the only explanation that I have when it comes to Matt Ryan not being on the NFL Top 100. I don't know how he got left off, but I mean, that's pretty much the only reason I can come up with because even though Matt Ryan's season wasn't, you know, the level of season that we've been accustomed to seeing out of Matt Ryan the past couple of seasons, I still felt he was good enough that he should have been on the NFL Top 100 list. But hey, I don't make the list. The players have voted on that list. I guess all the players get high and they just write down who they feel should be on the list or anything like that. But I mean, another acquisition that I really like by the Atlanta Falcons, other than Todd Gurley, is tied in Hayden Hurst. Now, they lost Austin Hooper in free agency, who signed with the Cleveland Browns, who he is now one of the highest-paid tight ends in the NFL at the moment. So the question was, how are the Falcons going to replace Austin Hooper? Well, they make a trade with the Baltimore Ravens, and they trade for Hayden Hurst, who, by the way, was a first-round pick by the Ravens a couple of years ago. Now, he kind of got outshadowed by Mark Andrews, who was taking a couple of rounds after him. But, I mean, look, Hayden Hurst had 349 receiving yards, 30 receptions, and two touchdowns with the Ravens. And that was him pretty much being the backup behind Mark Andrews. Now, with him being the tight end one in Atlanta, not really having to worry about, you know, sharing snaps at the tight end position, I think Hayden Hurst could have a really solid season with the Atlanta Falcons. Because although they do have a time to wide receiver court, they got Julio, you got Calvin Ridley, I think the tight end position is a really important part of this Falcons offense. It's always good to have a safety blanket on third down. And that's what I believe Hayden Hurst can be. And Hayden Hurst is also super athletic. Hayden Hurst was one of the most athletic tight ends coming into the NFL during his when he got drafted by the Ravens. So, I mean, Hayden Hurst has a ton of potential and a ton of upside. And I'm really interested and I'm really excited to see what he does for the Atlanta Falcons. In fact, I actually have him on two of my fantasy football squads right now as my starting tight end. So now, the biggest question when it comes to this Atlanta Falcons offense and his team is pretty much the offensive line. The offensive line last year, like I said, it was rough. How good is the offensive line going to be this year? So the offensive line is able to be better than what they were last season. This offense should once again... Not only be a top 10 offense, but it could be one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in the NFL. It is tons of talent. If nobody gets hurt and everybody stays healthy, I think this Falcons offense is going to be a big reason why they end up making it to the playoffs. And a lot of people already made a video a couple of months ago. It was a poor video. Like, I apologize that I I didn't, you know, I could have did better research in that video. But the Atlanta Falcons are a team that a lot of people are kind of sleeping on. If that defense actually shows up and they're able to stay healthy, and it's like at least a top 20 defense, and this offense doesn't have any significant injuries, then the Atlanta Falcons are a really scary team to watch. The Atlanta Falcons, with the talent that they have on this team, 
it should be no reason why they missed the playoffs this season. I mean, this Atlanta Falcons team has a lot of talent. And the two guys I'm really excited about watching this year for this Falcons offense is Todd Gurley and Laquan Treadwell. Both guys are looking to prove something. Todd Gurley's looking to prove that he still has what it takes and that he's still a premier back in the NFL after being released by the Los Angeles Rams. And Laquan Treadwell is just, you know, fighting for his NFL career. Because if it doesn't work out in Atlanta, his NFL career is pretty much done. Now for my last topic of the day, will the San Francisco 49ers suffer from the infamous Super Bowl hangover? Now basically what the Super Bowl hangover is, is basically the team that loses in the Super Bowl, they have a down year. They don't make the playoffs, they just, you know, they underachieve. A good example is the Carolina Panthers back in 2015. They went to the Super Bowl, they lost to the Broncos, and they didn't make it to the playoffs after that. Or more recently, the Los Angeles Rams. They lost to the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl in 2018, and they didn't make it to the playoffs last year in 2019. But I don't think the 49ers are going to suffer that same fate. And to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the 49ers right back in the Super Bowl this season. Because the 49ers, you see, the Super Bowl hangover, I think a lot of people just put too much, you know, into things like this. Because not every team that's lost in the Super Bowl has suffered a hangover. I mean, Seattle lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and they were perfectly fine. I mean, New England lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl, and they went right back the following year. So, I mean, I think the Super Bowl hangover is just some more overrated media crap that they just come up with to find some more things to talk about. The 49ers, I would be extremely surprised if the 49ers do not make it to the playoffs this season. Like, I would be incredibly surprised. I mean, you can make the argument to say that this 49ers team is better than last year's team. Now, they got rid of DeForest Buckner. You trade him. What do you get in return? Oh, you turn that pick into Javon Kinlaw. So, basically, Javon Kinlaw is... DeForest Buckner 2.0, he's just younger and has a cheaper deal. Then you already got D Ford, you got Nick Bosa, you got Arik Armstead, you got Fred Warner, you got Quan Alexander, you got Richard Sherman. I mean, you got you got a really talented defense. You still basically have the same defense from last year, aside from a few adjustments. Then, on the offensive side of the football, you got Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. And I already stated this in my video that I made about why the 49ers will, end the, will win the NFC West this year. Jimmy Garoppolo, I feel, gets too much criticism. Jimmy Garoppolo, think about what the 49ers were before Jimmy Garoppolo arrived. They weren't really good. Jimmy Garoppolo arrives, oh, they have an incredible stretch to end the season. His first year under the 49ers offense. Then what happens in year two? Oh, he suffers a season-ending injury, and the 49ers, they end up having a high draft pick, and they end up drafting Nick Bosa. But then what happens after Jimmy Garoppolo comes back, he's fully healthy? Oh, the 49ers go from being one of the worst teams in the NFL to going to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo has to have has to be some kind of good if he's able to take a 49ers team that didn't make it to even the playoffs last year that wasn't even that good, then he comes back, and now they have all this success. And then the Super Bowl, like I've said this whole entire offseason, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play bad. 
He played a really good first three quarters. The thing was, in the fourth quarter, he just couldn't make the big plays when the game was on the line. The fourth quarter, he just had a meltdown. But again, Jimmy Garoppolo, I still think is capable be, to be the franchise quarterback for the 49ers. I don't think that he's holding back the 49ers like some people may say. Then you still have one of the best halfback groups in the NFL. You got probably the best tight end duo in the NFL now that you just picked up Jordan Reed and you still had George Kittle. And Jordan Reed is a top five, top ten talent at the tight end position. The thing is that he just can't stay healthy. Well, now with him being paired up with George Kittle, he doesn't have to be that primary tight end, which now means that he'll be that second tight end on the roster, which means He'll, you know, he'll kind of come in in a couple of formations and things like that. But when he's on the field, he'll be effective. Plus, in the role that he's going to have the 49ers, he'll be able to stay healthy. He'll be able to stay on the field longer. So, I mean, it's a win-win for both Jordan Reed and the San Francisco 49ers. So, you pick up a talented player like Jordan Reed, and you pair him up with George Kittle. So, you probably got the best one-two punch at the tight end position. Then, you pick up Brendan Ayuk in the draft out of Arizona State. Really explosive wide receiver who I liked a lot, I felt like he should have went higher. I felt like he should have went in the top 20. So, I mean, the 49ers, I don't think they're going to have a Super Bowl hangover. I just think this is too good of a team. I think this is too well coached of a team to have a Super Bowl hangover. And a Super Bowl hangover, like, that's just some more um, overrated media bullcrap talk. Like, like, people just bring that up just to, you know, find some more topics to talk about because you guys know it's the off season. A lot of people are searching for things to talk about, so they just make up, you know, questions asking, will the 49ers suffer from the Super Bowl hangover? Like, come on, bro. Come on, man. Like, look, look at this team. The Rams suffered the Super Bowl hangover because we knew the Rams didn't really have that long to, you know, be competitive because of the cap situation and all the free agents that they made, all the free agent acquisitions that they made. So, I mean, the Rams, they basically had a midseason rebuild last year. They had a couple of injuries, and that's why they fell off. But, I mean, we knew this. The Rams built their team to win a Super Bowl at that moment. The 49ers built this team to not only win now, but to compete for Super Bowls in the future. So, I mean... I don't think they're going to end up having the same fate as the Rams. I just think they have too good of a coaching staff. They have too good of a team not to make to the playoffs this year and to have a Super Bowl hangover. So I don't believe in that Super Bowl hangover bullcrap. I just think that's just some more nonsense that the media just throws out there just to give you guys more content that you guys will click on and get upset about. But this is it. For episode 10 of the JT Sports Podcast, I appreciate you guys for listening, wherever you guys may be listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you guys are listening to. But make sure if you guys are listening to this on Apple or Spotify that you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, that you guys go ahead and leave a five-star review on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Also, make sure that you guys go ahead and follow me on Instagram and Twitter, which is JT Sports underscore. And if you're listening to this, on audio platforms that you guys go ahead and subscribe to my youtube channel on youtube which is jt sports and i appreciate you guys for listening and watching it